Well, thank you, uh, Tammy. Thank you for Steve. Thank you, Steve, I meant to say, for leading us in worship. He's not in here, but that was a lot for him to commit to two Christmas Eve services and two services this morning. So I appreciate that very much. I saw our interim children's director, Emily, sit on the edge of the stage and talk to a bunch of kids on Christmas Eve, and I thought, boy, she looks comfortable. So I decided I'm going to do that this morning and uh, talk to you. Did everybody uh, find, uh, have, have a, anybody have a hard time finding a seat this morning? It looks like, looks like everybody found one. Christmas Eve was a little different. That first service was absolutely nuts. Holy moly, our heads were spinning, trying to make coffee fast enough and, and replenish the cookie supply fast enough. I do hope that you and your family had a wonderful Christmas. It's hard to believe we're on the other side of it uh, already. So I want to applaud uh, your hospitality on Christmas Eve. We had so many guests. Uh, Thank you, ushers. Thank you, those of you who chose to be greeters. Um, The transition between services went well. We had our staff and volunteers park at Lily's and And the next neighbor down just for one, they were kind enough to give us some parking spaces. It was just a great night. And best of all, we had six or seven people receive the Lord as their Savior and become Christians, which is why uh, we're here. This is why we plant churches and hold services. And and so around the new year, uh, nearly every year, I like to talk about the fundamentals of the faith. We are just about to enter the NFL playoffs. Anybody watch the Packer game yesterday? None of you? What kind of fans? Oh, here we go. Okay, you're just a little shy. So, you know, NFL uh, playoffs were about to enter, and it's so amazing to me, always is, how certain teams will start off the season on a real tear and performing, you know, at a high level. And by the end of the season, they're just riddled with either injuries or poor play. The Arizona Cardinals, I think, though they'll still make the playoffs, are, are kind of in that position, it would seem, this year. They've lost a few consecutive games. The Baltimore Ravens are sitting at about a 50% chance after having a stellar start to the season. The Cleveland Browns were looking awesome at the beginning of the year. That didn't look too, that didn't last too long. I think Lamar Jackson was in the MVP runnings early in the season. And now, um, you know, we're wondering if, if they're going to be in the playoffs. So, so often, I think the difference between Failure and success lies in what we might call the fundamentals, uh, the things that we would assume, the things that we would think might be automatic in nature, things as simple as blocking, things as simple as tackling. Isn't it amazing how many NFL games we watch and we think if our team could only tackle, which is what they teach at the Pop Warner level, right? Um, It's one of the very first things you learn as a a football player. Um, Things like passing, things uh, can be so overlooked, and they can cost the team a game 
worth a season. You may or may not be old enough to recall the infamous 1993 men's national championship basketball game when the University of Michigan's Chris Weber infamously called a timeout with only seconds left. The only problem with his timeout was that the Wolverines had already used all of their timeouts. So the possession turned over to the Tar Heels, and the North Carolina Tar Heels won uh, the championship that year as a result of a foolish mistake. And the deceptive thing about the fundamentals, like not calling a timeout when you're out of timeouts, right, is that they're seemingly automatic, and yet they're not automatic. Even the fundamentals need to be returned to. They need to be taught over again and again. They need to be rehearsed from time to time. They need to be revisited. They need to be sharpened. And the same is true as it pertains to spiritual discipleship. So I want to take an opportunity as we enter a new year, 2022, to remind you to communicate with your quarterback with your capital Q quarterback, with God who is orchestrating and planning in his sovereign place at the throne in heaven. Um, Even I need to revisit what I'm communicating to you this morning. One of the greatest temptations that every pastor faces, or I should say most pastors, is certainly not unique to me as I talk to my peers in ministry is that we mistake sermon prep for time alone with God, and they're not one and the same. Uh, You can be studying to to share something from God's Word on a Sunday morning, and you cannot even come close to communing with God. The agenda is quite different. The intent is quite different. The outcome is quite different. They are not equally as fulfilling. I will tell you, prepping for a sermon and spending time with God. Prepping for a sermon can feel like work. Prepping, or rather spending time with God. See how easily they're confused? (laughs) Spending time with God is is, uh, just rejuvenating and uh, meaningful and wonderful. Um, So what I want to communicate to you today is that while even I have failed at the fundamentals and while nobody is immune to getting lazy with spiritual discipline, that it's a very important part of our Christian faith. We get wires and and signals crossed in this age, in the digital age in particular, We become so preoccupied with TVs and smartphones and you name it. So I want to invite you this morning with me to commit, to commit, to commit to a quiet time with God in 2022. And this might seem like something that followers of Jesus, if you've been around the flower shop for a while, ought to know Um, But some of you may be hearing this for the first time today, and and others, again, I believe need to be reminded. My concern is that if there is no mention of such things, no revisiting, that we'll be caught running the wrong route, right, when it's needed the most at a critical part of the game. So 
What am I talking about when I say a quiet time? I'm talking about a window that you set aside every day uh, to meet with God. And it would seem, again, this is a no-brainer, right? You'd think that the importance of a time with God is seared into our, into our consciences. But the reality is that this requires discipline. The best leaders in life lead first themselves. They discipline themselves. Uh, in a week or two, if not already, some of you will get or will renew a gym membership. Or you will recommit to taking advantage of the gym membership that you have kept. Allow me to give you a sobering thought as we approach New Year's Eve 2022. We lose our physical fitness three times as quickly as we gain it. That is to say, it takes three months to lose five pounds and it takes one month to gain it back. How many of you would say that's sobering? That's unfortunate, isn't it? Isn't that just depressing? But it's the truth. Um, that doesn't mean it's not possible to become physically fit. It's not possible to lose weight. It doesn't mean that. That it's not possible to gain muscle mass. What does it mean? It means it, it simply requires diligence. It requires hard work. It requires commitment. Growing spiritually fit, I would submit, is no different. It requires dedication. It requires hard work. Generally speaking, we don't stumble into these profound moments with God, right? We carve out time for them. An NFL team doesn't stumble into the Super Bowl, having been without discipline all year long. In fact, the author of, of Hebrews, who most scholars believe to be Paul, he grew very, very frustrated with a group of Christians who thought it would be okay to serve Christ without working at it, without disciplining themselves. In chapter 5, verse 12, he said, For though by this time you ought to be teaching others in the Christian faith, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, this is his analogy, not solid Food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a what? A child. A child. See, when a person is still living on milk, it shows he isn't very far in the Christian life in the same way that a kitten living on milk isn't very far into being a kitten. Right? So... He's still a baby Christian. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There's a word that floats around Christian circles often, and it's a word, uh, discipleship. And if you go to any uh, conference with a bunch of pastors, it's Still, in 2022, it's been a buzzword for the last 40 years. How do we do better at discipleship? That is to say, how do we do better in turning Christians from babies into adults, from having them develop in Christ 
likeness. And what these pastors mean when they ask themselves these questions at conferences and say, hey, what are you doing to get your people to grow in discipleship? is they mean what are you getting them to do in terms of growth in Jesus? And what, do you, what are you doing to get them into their Bibles? And do you give them reading assignments? Or is everybody in the same book? And what do you do on Sundays? And what are your life groups like? And how are you getting people to mature in the faith? Is it one-on-one? Do you have mentor and mentee kind of relationships? How does this work? How do you make sure that you don't fail at communicating with the quarterback when a national championship football game is on the line. And mature believers in the Bible, they're called disciples, and the root word of disciple is what? It's a discipline. It's discipline. So a question could be asked, can you be a disciple without being disciplined? And I would suggest to you that you cannot. You cannot. Um, You can't grow in your spiritual walk without some measure of discipline. Discipline involves, as you might think, habits. What is a habit? Well, Webster defines it this way, a continual, often unconscious inclination to do a certain activity acquired through frequent repetition. So think about this for a minute. The people who you would say, wow, they have a great physique. Wow, they, they look awesome in a t-shirt, right? And they look awesome in a, a bathing suit. Wow, they've really worked at that. Haven't they acquired that physical fitness by way of frequent repetition? If they establish a habit and it happens long enough, if if frequent repetition is accompanied by duration, right? It becomes continual. It becomes often an unconscious inclination. That is to say they don't even have to work that hard at going to the gym any longer. Webster says, in other words, it becomes a, a habit, So that is what I desire for you guys, that a deep love for God and for his word might be cultivated in your hearts. Uh, You cannot go to a fitness center and carry in with you a lawn chair and plop down in the center of the room and watch everybody else work out and sip a soda can and become physically fit. I've tried that, okay? It doesn't work, all right? You just, you just can't do it. And, and so, likewise, you can't come to church and plop down in a chair and watch everybody else work out spiritually once a week and grow closer to Jesus. You have to engage him yourself. You can't not open the Bible in the mornings or at night similarly and go to sleep more loving or joyful or peaceful or patient or kind or good or faithful or gentle or self-controlled. When you're in God's word, you change. You become more like Jesus. 
So some of you may say, you know, to be honest, Pastor, church attendance has been a commitment for me. I'm new to coming to church. I'm just now establishing a habit of church attendance for the first time in my life. I'm green at this. And I want you to know that if you're coming to church on a regular basis and and that's new for you, and even if you're sensing God in this place on Sundays and there's more you know, that you've discovered, I'll I'll say this, there's more yet to discover in terms of this beautiful relationship with God. In fact, nothing can compete, not even Sunday mornings, with experiencing God's presence in your home, at your coffee table when you're in his word, when you're in your vehicle and you're stressed out, at a traffic light, and you pray for the peace of God, and it descends on your Taurus, or your Tacoma, or your Silverado. Nothing, not even Sunday mornings, can compete with that. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 9 of his first letter, verse 27, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then he says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture, check this out, all scripture is breathed out by God and useful or profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know about you, but those words, that so that the man of God, the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, like that makes me want to get involved. I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be prepared. I want to be ready in season and out of season for what God may ask me to do. I don't want to sit on the bench, right? I want to be part of the team, you know, I don't want to be, you know, you can always tell when you go to a high school football game, there are some kids who sit over, you know. (laughs) And then there are kids who are sitting right by the coaches, looking up at them, just waiting to have their number called. You know, there are those who want to be part of the game, right? So uh, you may say, how in the world do I do it, Pastor? I, I have tried. Where do I start? Have you seen how many pages are in that book, Pastor? Have you seen how, how, have you read Leviticus, Pastor? Like, have you ever got bogged? I'll say, yes, I've got bogged down trying to move through the Bible. There are parts of the Bible that are very difficult. There are parts that are seemingly irrelevant. Seemingly irrelevant. Remember, every scripture is God-breathed. But there are also parts that are life-saving, marriage Saving, career catapulting, soul saving, wisdom there is. There's instruction in the book that God has revealed to us about himself. So where do we begin? I think the very best way to read the scriptures is to first find a Bible that you can understand. I talked about this a little bit on Christmas Eve. You have to have a Bible that you understand. If all you have is a King James version of the Bible... I would argue that in part, the reason that remains dusty 
is because it's hard to read. It's in Old English. It's, hard, it's in a language of yesteryear, right? So there are more contemporary translations that are much easier to read that are in our vernacular or our everyday language. One of them is the NIV, the New International Version. That's pretty simple. Even more yet in everyday language is a paraphrase. It's not a translation, but it's the Bible in someone else's words. And it's written by a man named Eugene Peterson. It's called The Message. I think it's had about 25 years probably uh, of a run. It's a wonderful resource. I would encourage everybody, even for those of you who have been around the flower shop a, a while, it's a fresh way to read the scripture. So read the message. Um, secondly, uh, oh, let me say one more thing about that. If you're, if you're hungry for something to go deeper in, and you've read the message or you've read the NIV and you want a more serious study Bible, I recommend the ESV study Bible. It's thick. It's really um, a robust resource. It's got in, in its uh, ending all kinds of peripheral pages about current events and what the Bible has to say about those events. The bottom third of every page is someone else's commentary on the top two-thirds of the page. A line separates them, which is the scriptures. So scriptures, commentary, someone else's words on the scriptures. It's a great resource. So after you've found a Bible, and we'll help you do that, second, get a system. Your system may be three to four chapters a day. It takes three to four chapters a day on average to get through the Bible in a year. Three to four chapters a day. That is, you know, 15 to 20 minutes for those of you who read fast. For somebody like myself who likes to really take something in slowly, it's 30 to 35 minutes to read through the Bible in a year. At Northridge in Marshfield, they did a few years back something called B90X, it was a play off of P90X, a uh, physical exercise routine that was popular for a while. And it's a reading through the Bible in 90 days. It's crazy rigorous, but maybe if you love to read, you would want to try that. You're probably reading an hour, an hour and a half a day. And then if you miss a day, guess what? Right? So it's, it's, it's for serious folks. But that's an option too. Well, what if those feel like really committed systems to you? What if you want a, a no-weighed entry? Then I would say, hey, read the book of Proverbs in a month. Take in a chapter a day. That's my favorite book in the Bible. You know, we're about to start January 1. Read Proverbs 1. January 2, read Proverbs 2. If you want to get ahead of the game, start tomorrow. That way, if you skip a day, you're still ahead. Try reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in a quarter of the year. They're four different accounts, but similar accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In about a chapter a day, you can get through all four of them in a quarter, January through March. That would be a great place to start. Um, I don't think there's one system that's right for everybody, but I think that a system, a system, a system is right for all of us. If you have a smartphone... There's a wonderful app. There's a wonderful app that you can download called U Version. U Version. 
Y-O-U, U version, or you can search Holy Bible, and it's likely the first one that will come up. It has reading plans built in. It has devotionals uh, built in. If you like the sound of a dinging to-do list app, then you can click off your chapter after you read it. Ding! Right? It'll make you feel great about yourself. Ding! I did it. Ding! I am challenging you all to 30 days of prayer uh, in that app. We, we put this in the newsletter last week. You can go to the, the mill.church slash announcements, the mill.church slash announcements on your smartphone. There's a link there. If you're on your smartphone, when you click the link, it'll ask you to download this very app, the Uversion app, and join us in our a collective experience of prayer for 30 days. If you're on your computer and you go to the mill.church slash announcements on your computer, it'll take you through on your computer how to follow along and pray for uh, 30 days. But everybody needs a system. There's a relative, uh, relatively, excuse me, two to three years old app called Joel. Joel. And you listen to somebody else with ambient music behind it, reading the scriptures. It's just wonderful. You can lay there in your bed at night, listening to the scriptures being read over you. It's uh, almost sleep-inducing. You've got to be careful. But it's wonderful to take in the Bible through this app called Joel. It's like, almost like the, the uh, what are those little things that get, we used to, Garmin's and we used to buy on the GPS in that you can pick different voices. (laughs) You know, when GPSs first came out, we were like, ooh, you can pick a British person. Well, you can pick a South African, you know, person to read the Bible to you. It's great. Joel, it costs a little money. It costs a little money, that particular app. Is it worth investing cash into your spiritual journey? Well, we invest cash into all kinds of other junk Right? I would suggest, sure, it's worth investing into your faith, into your discipleship. So you find a Bible, you find a system. Third, you find a time. That's what a quiet time is. It's a time of day where you be quiet. It's a time that you get alone with God. It's a time where you allow God to speak to you through his word. And the people in the Bible who were effective in service to God, they had a quiet time. So how do you begin? Will you choose a time? I would suggest to you that there's conventional wisdom in the adage, you know, you don't tune your instrument After the concert, you tune your instrument before the concert. So if you want the immediate impact of your time with Jesus to be experienced throughout your day, the morning is a great time to meet alone with God. It would seem that people in the Bible preferred morning quiet times. If you'll recall, Jesus himself woke up early while it was still dark to go pray. However, maybe you would say, I'm more awake at night. I'm a night owl. I'm alert as I can be. 
In the evening, that's a great time then to crack open the word and to read, to spend time with the Lord. Secondly, choose a place. Think about it. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. Um, I hope you don't have to climb a mountain, but I hope you have an office. Or I hope you have a kitchen table. Or I hope you have a coffee table in your dining room. Find a place. And and, and if you're in the uh, stage where you have kids waking up early, you know, allow your quiet time to be observed by your kids. Don't feel like you need to retreat. Let them walk in and experience you with the Bible open. Reading the Bible. Don't make them feel like an interruption. Embrace them when they're crawling on you while you're reading. Um, I must tell you in advance that you're going to have issues with your quiet time. So let me just go through a quick troubleshooting session, okay, regarding a quiet time. First, you're going to have the problem of discipline. That is, am I going to get out of bed today? Gosh, this alarm feels more abrupt than it did yesterday. Maybe I'd better, better hit the snooze button two times, three times, four times. Here's what I would say we do to combat what we call the battle of the blankets. First, go to bed earlier. Go to bed earlier. If your spiritual growth is a priority, go to bed earlier. Do people go to bed earlier because they know they have to go to the gym the next morning? Of course they do. So go to bed a little earlier. Go to bed when the kids go to bed. Instead of staying up watching Netflix to 11, 11.30 p.m., go to bed when the kiddos do at 8 o'clock, 8.30, so you're ready to wake up early. Get up as soon as you wake up. Get up as soon as you wake up. That's a great strategy. Say, I'm not going to hit the snooze button. I'm going to get up the first time I hear it, the alarm. Pop out of bed. Be aware of quiet time detours. I have noticed Satan will put anything and everything in front of you to distract you from your quiet time. You will desire Captain Crunch during your quiet time. You'll want to clip your fingernails all of a sudden during your quiet time. Don't allow detours to enter your mind and heart. Fourth, fall asleep, fall asleep thinking kingdom thoughts. Lord, I can't wait to get up and be with you tomorrow morning. I just can't wait to engage you, creator of the universe. You mean so much to me. You mean so much to my family. I'll see you in the morning. I have an appointment with you in the morning. The second problem is the problem of distractions. Uh, Satan will use uh, distractions endlessly. Um, First, I would say uh, to combat these, get out of bed. Don't do your quiet time in bed. It's easier to fall asleep if If you're in your bed, get out of bed. Second, get thoroughly dressed. I have noticed when I'm still in pajamas, it's harder to do my quiet time. Go ahead and put your clothes for the day on. Get a shower. Get awake. You know what? This God made this magical thing to assist with our quiet times called the coffee bean. And if you grind enough of those things up and you put enough of those things in a filter and run some hot water over them, it's just like blissful. It's a blissful accompaniment to a quiet time. Maybe you would walk by praying. I remember a season in college where I was just so passionately 
pursuing God and I would get quiet and in order to, uh, I would get, excuse me, uh, distracted with sleepiness and in order to, to combat drowsiness, I would stand on the bathtub wall with the Bible in one hand and using the other arm to, to balance because I just wanted to love and take in God's word. And the bathtub wall balancing helped me to, to not fall asleep. Do what it takes. You'll also have the problem of dryness. Sometimes you'll feel like you're not learning anything. Never judge, here's what I would say, never judge a quiet time by your feelings. My grandpa used to say to me, uh, son, you've got to know in your knower that you're saved. Because you won't always feel saved. You've got to know in your knower that you're loved by God. You're not always going to feel loved by God. So when feelings of dryness creep in, you, you can do some very practical things. You can check your physical condition. Oftentimes, our confidence levels in engaging God's word ride the wave of our physical condition. If you feel confident about your physical condition, you're more likely to engage God's word. You can, you can eliminate rush in your quiet time. Uh, you can share your insight with others. That's a practical way. I love the analogy, if your sponge is full, it cannot take on more water. But if you wring it out, if you share with other people what you've learned, what God's been speaking to you, you can take in more. The last problem that I'll mention you'll face during your quiet time, and I want to pray for you this morning, is the problem of diligence. You will encounter a problem of diligence. You'll encounter a problem of staying consistent in your quiet time. The first thing I would suggest to battle that is to make a promise to the Lord that you're going to stick with a quiet time. We see vows in the Bible, people making promises to the Lord. Make a promise to the Lord. Secondly, schedule it on your daily calendar. What foolish things we put on our daily calendars to remind ourselves of them. Some serious things. Mortgage payment. Due today. Right? Some of us, mortgage payment due one week from now. Mortgage payment due three days from now. Right? Is our quiet time with God of that level of importance? I would suggest that it is. So put it on our calendar. Okay? Date night with spouse. That's important. The schedule. So is our quiet time. Um, I would encourage you practically leave your Bible open to the passage that you're going to read the next morning, the night before. That's a simple and intentional step to remind yourself that you're going to spend time with the Lord. It's, it's January 3rd. Open your Bible, night of January 3rd, to Proverbs 4. Lay it open on your coffee top. You'd be surprised at how that will help you get out of bed the next morning. What if I miss a day? Here's what I want to say in closing. What if I miss a day? I uh, heard a pastor say this in grad school, and I often encourage uh, people that I talk to about quiet times with this. Is it more important to be devoted to discipline, or is it more important to be disciplined to devotion? I would suggest it's more important to be disciplined to devotion. What is being devoted to discipline? That's legalism, right? I do this every day. 
Look how high and mighty I am. Look how righteous I am. Everybody watch me. Look at me. Pray publicly in the square. Right? This was the religious people of Jesus' day. Look at all of our memorized scriptures and boxes on our foreheads. The Pharisees did this. Right? Is it more important to do that? To be devoted to discipline? Or is it more important to be disciplined to devotion? Like my grandfather said, to know that God loves us and that we love him, even when our discipline sometimes is lacking. So be disciplined to devotion. In other words, don't flirt with legalism. Don't come under condemnation. Your devotion isn't to the discipline. Your devotion isn't to the task itself. Your devotion is your loyalty to Jesus. It's your commitment to Jesus. And and I'll say this. It will take six to seven weeks to establish a routine of lifting weights. They tell us. And it will take six to seven weeks to establish a routine of doing this. Before you've built a what? Habit. Six to seven weeks. So you really don't have to commit in perpetuity for it to become an unconscious inclination. You just have to make it through six or seven weeks before it becomes natural and a part of your everyday routine. I'll close with this scripture. Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not get up. I want to read that one more time to you. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap. We will see the harvest. We will see people come to faith. We will see communities and neighborhoods changed. Cities changed. If we do not give up if we are disciplined not devoted to discipline but disciplined to devotion so um, I'm going to do something um, maybe a little neat, unique and I'm just going to have Derek put some music on and I'm going to allow everybody just a minute or two to think about a commitment that you would like to make toward God this year maybe it would look like 10 minutes in the word and 10 minutes in prayer a day maybe it would look like Proverbs in 30 days maybe it'd look like P90X in the full Bible in 90 days Um, maybe it would look like God I'm just going to start my day and end my day with a prayer to you maybe it'd look like God every time I stop at a traffic light I'm going to memorize Every week, a verse of scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tape it on a, on a uh, what's those, note card. We don't even use those anymore. It's hard to remember what they are. On a note card, a scripture, a sticky note with a scripture. I'm going to put it on my steering wheel. And every time I stop in my car, I'm going to work on memorizing a verse of scripture that's meaningful to me, that reminds me of your promises. Find your system in the next few moments, Okay. And have an honest conversation with God and say, Lord, maybe I'm doing this for the first time. I'm green. Help me. Help me to to discipline myself to be devoted to you this year.
2022. All right, take a moment in your seat. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that uh, this would be a thrilling year for us, if for no other reason than that we engage your word, that your sword of the spirit cuts through to our inmost being, that it lays bare our soul, that it challenges us to rid our lives of sin and to become faithful, joyous followers of you, servants of you. We love you, Lord, so much. You're our treasure and joy. I pray, Lord, that as we give this morning and honor you, uh, that you will continue to bless our church family, that you will continue to enable us to serve the people of central Wisconsin, uh, and that uh, 2022 would be such a great year for the Mill Church of engaging its neighbors. We love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.